You're listening to Heartland Politics with Robin Johnson, a presentation of WVIK Quad Cities NPR. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Heartland Politics show and podcast, which is aired on and distributed by WVIK Quad Cities NPR. WVIK is the flagship public radio station in the Quad Cities region of northwestern Illinois and eastern Iowa. This is your host, Robin Johnson, and today I'm very pleased to have on the show a candidate uh, on the Illinois side of the river who's running for the Illinois House of Representatives in a district covering the Quad Cities area. His name is Greg Johnson, and he's going to be on the ballot next month, and uh, just wanted to get a chance to talk to him a little bit here about his vision uh, for the district and some of the key issues he feels that need addressed. Uh, Greg, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you very much, Rob, and I really appreciate you having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, I like to ask uh, candidates, as my listeners know, uh, the first question out of the box is, uh, why are you running? And uh, what what uh, what led you to take on this uh, considerable um, responsibility of running the campaign, but also serving in the Illinois legislature in these very interesting and tumultuous times? Yeah, th- these really are interesting times. You know, I, I honestly, if you'd have told me even six, seven years ago that I would uh be involved in, in running for office, um, I would have uh, thought you were crazy. But, you know, for me, it's really just about my family and my, my family story from beginning to end. You know, I'm a, I'm a lifetime resident here of, of Rock Island County. I grew up uh, when our manufacturing was really humming here. We had John Deere, Case, Farmall. My father worked at Farmall. Um, and, you know, the opportunities seemed endless. And all of a sudden, uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, those opportunities were all of a sudden gone. And I don't think we've ever really recovered from, from the manufacturing loss. And I think we're still in an area where we're, we're still trying to, to um, I re, I rebrand ourselves. Um, but, you know, I, I firmly believe that this is, we have the best people in the entire country. I, I think that the people that live here in the 72nd district are such uh, such special people. And I think if, if we can do a good job of, of bringing uh, opportunities and jobs back to the area, um, I, I think that we can once again uh, be, in, be a, uh, an attractive area for families to relocate to. You know, I, I, ha- I do have a, an 11-year-old daughter as well that goes to public school here in East Moline. I've got, got a couple grandkids um, in school in Rock Island. And, you know, the one thing when I talk to people, and, and I've, spent, I've spent maybe uh, 25 years now knocking doors for other candidates, uh, the one thing I've really been hearing, in particular over the last eight to 10 years, is how kids, when they graduate high school here, they leave and they seek opportunities elsewhere. Uh, you know, we had a, a period there for three years where Governor Rauner refused to fund MAP grants. So we had a real brain drain where a lot of kids even left the state to, to get their education. The problem is, is when our kids leave to go to school somewhere else, odds are they're, they're going to relocate there. They're not going to come back home. And there's a lot of regret on, on, when you meet parents at their doors about how they have to visit their, their kids and their grandkids elsewhere. And, and, you know, I don't know, Robin, if I can do this, but when my daughter graduates high school, when she's 18, I would absolutely love for her to have those opportunities to go to school right here, build her life right here, because I'm going to be a little too old to chase her wherever she goes. Well, that's interesting because I think your story that you tell kind of kind of coincides with the story of this whole region. Um, and and uh, uh, I've got a similar, uh, I, I guess, story in a sense. Um, 
it, with my dad uh, working in manufacturing. And um, the, 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 the last 50 years have just seen fundamental changes in the economy, which, is, which have had far-reaching implications for our lives and for the quality of life. And I think we're seeing that now and waking up to that, that um, perhaps it was a mistake letting some of these manufacturing jobs go. You know, there's a lot of nostalgia, Greg, for bringing back that era. I, I, do you think that's possible or is it going to be different? I mean, what what's your hope if, if you're elected? I mean, it, it, can we recreate that era of the 70s with the manufacturing economy or is it going to be different or what? What, have you given that some thought on how you plan to kind of go about that if you're elected? So a lot of, a lot of my focus has been, Robin, has, has been on not only on, you know, high-tech manufacturing. I think, you know, I, I, I compare our area. Something I talked about on the campaign trail a couple of years ago was um, I lived in a, a city like Pittsburgh. You know, when we look back at Pittsburgh 20, 30 years ago, it was it was a city that really was the steel industry, and it was a steel city. And when you look at how Pittsburgh has really rebranded themselves, they're a uh, they're they're an IT hub, they're a medical hub, and, and they built it right along the beautiful Allegheny River. And I think that when you look at us, you know, we we have this West Illinois campus right along the Mississippi River. Um, if we can make the right investments. Um, and, and I think we can even create uh, incubators for things like mental health. We have a grow your own program that Moline High School has to address the teacher shortage as well. Um, I, I, I believe I believe that we can absolutely um, create um, those opportunities. I think if you look at what's going on here in Illinois the last few years um, since J.B. Prisker was elected governor, our investments in infrastructure. You know, if if you build roads and bridges and you build a, a, a very nice infrastructure within your community, businesses and people are going to want, are going to, want to come here. We're seeing, uh, ever since 2017, we're seeing the reinvestment in the evidence-based funding and education. Um, I absolutely, you know, is it going to be exactly, uh, you know, I mean, we're always more nostalgic for the, the times when we were growing up. But I think if we make all of these proper investments, you know, the greatest return on, on uh, we get from our taxpayers on infrastructure and create those opportunities, the educational programs, I think we can absolutely uh, uh, achieve uh, something similar to those golden days. I do. You mentioned education. I think that's a major factor. Uh, our, our public school systems have, have really been under a lot of stress in recent years uh, from partly funding inconsistency and also, of course, what happened with COVID. Um, I guess, do you think, you know, there's a lot of, on the Iowa side, they're, they're uh, creating incentives for private schools uh, because there's a sense that the public schools aren't adequately preparing kids for the modern economy. Um, I think that's a fair criticism, I will say, but I mean, what's your thoughts on this, Greg? What, or what do public schools have to do to better compete, to better prepare kids for the global economy and careers, say, in like STEM fields? We just have to continue to make those investments. I think Illinois, we're, we've been playing catch up for decades of underfunding in many of our school districts. And what we started in 2017 with Senate Bill 1 on the evidence-based funding, I think that we have an opportunity if we continue to make those investments that we'll continue to catch up. You're not going to catch up overnight. I think our test scores are showing pretty well. We're, we're testing pretty well in most of our school districts, in particular here locally and preparing kids for college. I think also, Robin, I, I really believe, I, I referred earlier to 
the investment in, in public education infrastructure, Illinois has also really started to invest more in, in public education you know, with the evidence-based funding. And, and I think five years from now, you know, I keep hearing how rosy the, the picture is over in the state of Iowa, but I think it, um, our investments in infrastructure, education at all levels, um, I think those are going to pay dividends. I think at the same time, we look at the state of Iowa, which is disinvesting in infrastructure, disinvesting in education. You know, um, I, I just really believe that, that that's the plan. You know, uh, a lot of times you don't find out till five, 10 years down the road if what you're doing is really working. Um, for me, now I must say that in particular, that I'm most concerned about the 72nd district. I think at times we, we get shorted on some of those funding. I, I think a lot of the wealthier school districts um, in the suburbs possibly get a little more funding. I, I think I need to go down there and fight as hard as I can to make sure we get every single dollar back in there into our public schools. Um, because I really do believe that, that that is the way we, we get to where we go. You know, I've been, been very active here. I, I participate in a couple of programs in our school district. We brought in a strong readers, make stronger leaders program where we were getting private donors. We were handing out books at my daughter's school. Unfortunately, then COVID shut those down. We were actually having, having, um, uh, auditor meetings in the auditorium assemblies where the, the author would actually come in and read the books. Um, we also, uh, I just, uh, Moline has been running a program called the uh, Parent Mentor Program. We were able, I was able to get that introduced here in East Moline, in which case our diversity, um, once we bring on our Parent Mentor Program that originated out of the suburbs of Chicago, it, it all of a sudden makes our diversity our strength because we're, we're exposed to all of these different cultures. And it, it ends up being a pathway to, to teachers' aides, to teachers right on down the line. I, I would argue that that we are doing the right things. We just have to really continue to double down on this. You know, you can't make up for 40 years of neglect in three or four years, Robin. You just can't. I, now to bring those the first two topics we've talked about together. I've always wondered, and I know my listeners have heard me harp on this with other candidates, but I've always wondered why why we aren't pursuing the idea of apprenticeships more, and especially the, the German system, which I'm sure you're aware of, where their whole uh, education system is modeled on pathways for apprenticeships uh, to get students who don't want to go to college, and not everybody's cut out for college, on a pathway to a, a trade, a skill. Uh, earlier in their education. I mean, have you given thought to that and how, what role can the state play? Or should this be left up to local school districts or can the state play a role maybe in providing incentives for schools to undertake something like this just to try it and see if it would work? The state should absolutely be investing in apprenticeship programs. You know, we've talked earlier. The it's when I was a younger and I graduated high school, you had a year or two to figure out what you wanted to do. Um, you know, we're living in a global economy now where our kids, when they come out of high school, they need to be ready to go to college right away or they need to enter into the workforce. And I think these apprenticeship programs are absolutely crucial. They need to be in all of our schools. Um, it's, you know, you can make such a great living without taking on a lot of college debt as well. You know, college debt's a big issue right now. Uh, you know, my, uh, I talk, I go to John Deere. I speak to the UAW uh, once about once a month. I go to their cap councils. And the big thing they tell me is, Greg, what we need is, we need to have these, we're, we're short, we're, we're running out of workforce, we're having a, a real shortage of workers because these kids aren't coming out of school with the skills needed to enter into our workforce. And if we get those programs into these schools, these kids will be ready to go. You know, the ideal situation for me is, is a, a kid that does 
maybe want to go to college, but they also already come out with job skills as a welder or as a carpenter or, or anything else. So, so they're ready to go directly in. Maybe that's the path they want to take for the rest of their life, but maybe they want to go to college. But they're you know, to be armed with two different paths to success is, is really the, something special to, to carry forward for the next generation. You're listening to Heartland Politics on WVIK Public Radio in the Quad Cities. This is your host, Robin Johnson, and on today's show, we have as our guest the Democratic candidate for the Illinois House of Representatives in the 72nd District. His name's Greg Johnson. Uh, this district, by the way, uh, we just went through redistricting uh, after the census, of course, and uh, this is a new district, and it, it covers pretty much all the Qu- Illinois Quad City area and some places outside. Um, Greg, we've been talking a little bit. Uh, Greg's been explaining uh, why he embarked on his candidacy, and um, uh, we've been talking about jobs and uh, the economy of the future, uh, the role of manufacturing, education, and we touched on apprenticeships a little bit so far. I want to switch gears a little bit. You've talked quite a bit about uh, health care in your campaign, and uh, it's an ongoing issue, uh, accessibility and cost. what more do you think needs to be done? Uh, I, I mean, we've you know we've had Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act passed at the national level. Uh, is there something the state can do uh, here? It seems like we still have issues of cost um, and affordability for folks. I know there's been legislation um, to cap the, the price of insulin. I think we need to look at certain drugs that we got to continue to cap costs on some. I know a lot of this is also done at the federal level. You know, but absolutely, the two, the two kinds of access we just have to talk about are the affordability and the physical access. You know, the, the fact is, even with the Affordable Care Act that was passed many years ago, there are still way too many Americans and Illinoisans that just don't have health insurance because they can't afford it. And then this just leads to just higher overall costs and, and worse healthcare outcomes because they're delaying things until they get the coverage they need or they're just ignoring problems and which you know, which just continues that spiral. I mean, we, it's an ongoing issue. I think, um, you know, I think we can see it even um, with mental health. You know, mental health is, is a, a real problem that we have to deal with as well. You know, in, in 2018, when I first ran for the Senate, and talked about my experiences in the Illinois Department of Corrections and the changes I saw from 1983 until the time I left in 2015. Um, it, was, it, was, it was incredible, Robin. You know, in 1983, we could get people help. In 2015, we couldn't. And I had parents pulling me out of parades thanking me for my focus on, on mental health because, uh, you know, they, I heard sob, uh, horrible stories about the saddest stories about someone who had had lost their life while waiting three weeks to be seen um, or someone who had to wait six weeks to be seen. And the, the, uh, the COVID, the pandemic, unfortunately, exacerbated the situation. It's now even worse. Um, you know, I, I think I saw last week where the Kaiser Family Foundation said that I believe 90% of adults think that the mental health crisis is huge. In this country, we all know people that are that are suffering and struggling, and, and both mental and physical health care are, are areas we really need to to invest in and and really listen to people and, and get them the help they need. And we're we're failing right there. We absolutely are. Whatever I can do in Springfield to address these issues, I'm going to do because they're close to my heart. I have an eleven I have an eleven year old daughter who was uh, home with me, being uh, remote taught for eighteen months. And I can tell you, she was not coming out of this pandemic. She was not the same person. 
that she was going in. I hope it wasn't because she was stuck at home with me for 18 months <laughs> or stuck with me as a teacher. But but um, her and her friends, um, they're still, you know, I, I love the fact that they're so open about these issues. It, it's taken such a toll and, and it, it, it breaks my heart. Um, it does. Um, but she's getting there. Um, she's getting there. She's got a great structure here. But what about the kids that don't? What can we do for them? I wanted to talk uh, also uh, about the, the the crime bill safety act. Uh, that's been probably one of the biggest issues in this campaign. Certainly, uh, the governor's race. It's it's taken on a a very prominent role both in the primary and in the general election. And um, it, I, I guess, what's your view of that? Is is uh, do you do you think the bill is passed and is going to be implemented uh, uh, next year? Is is it okay as is? Does it need fine tuning? If so, where? Uh, or do you think the whole thing needs to be uh, uh, repealed and start over? So I spent 32 years working in the Illinois Department of Corrections. I've also been a, a large part of negotiating contracts and different agreements. I think I'm the kind of person to go down there. We need to fix this bill. There's a lot of things. There are some good things in this bill, the body cameras. Um, I, I think the cash bail system is, is just an inherently unfair system. It's not right that two people can commit the same crime and one person, because they have money, can be released. Um, we do have to have an emphasis on safety. We have to protect the public from violent offenders. We need to get everybody at the table. Uh, I don't think everybody was at the table the last time. We can go in there. We can we can fix this bill. We can get to where we need to be with a focus on safety, public safety, and also uh, bringing fairness to, to the to the bail system. The cash bail system was inherently unfair. It was. Another issue I think that's fair to bring up is is the problem of of uh, well just corruption in Illinois. To be frank, uh, we, we've got, what, several senators now under indictment. Uh, they're Democrats. They're in your party. And uh, I, I guess I feel like it's frustrating. Uh, I have relative, my brother lives in New Jersey, and now they're looking down at us for political corruption. When you say you're from Illinois, they're like, geez, you know, because yeah. of what we've had with governors from both parties being jailed. Uh, it seems like now we've got uh, state senators from from Chicago uh, under indictment for corruption. We've got the former uh, House Speaker Mike Madigan under investigation, indictment, uh, trial coming up. What more can we do, Greg, uh, if anything, to pass reforms or ethical, ethical uh, political reforms to cut down on this? Do we need to go to something like term limits? You know, I, for me, it's unfair to talk about term limits because I'm 58 years old. But I do think people get too comfortable positions, in particular leadership positions. We definitely need to talk about term limits for leadership. And beyond that, we can have that conversation as well. You know, uh, I worked under Democratic and Republican administrations in the Department of Corrections. I had agency directors go to jail. You know, my father's always my moral compass. I mean, I've never even had so much as a speeding ticket in my life. I don't understand how this happens. We need to do whatever it takes to root it out. Democrat, Republican, we've seen both go to jail. Right now, it looks like we have some issues with Democrats in the legislature. Whatever authority we have to give people to prosecute and to, to make sure to root this corruption out, 
we have to we have to go with that. We absolutely have to. Um, you're, you're right. It's it's hard to to take that to to listen to people look down at the state of Illinois when I think we're doing so many good things legislatively when we have uh, corruption that's occurring. Um, right now, uh, we need to do give the authorities all the power they need to root this out and move forward. Um, you know, my father raised me to be a very honest, uh, straightforward person, and and um, it goes against everything I believe to be sitting next to someone who's who's committing corruption, whether in the workplace, um, at the prison, uh, the workplace where I work now with my software company, or even um, in the legislature. They've got to go. Period. It's it's a challenge uh, living in a, in a in a place. It can be a challenge and an opportunity. But being on a in a border uh, between Illinois and Iowa, uh, it, it can be somewhat challenging. Uh, a lot of people say that we're at a competitive disadvantage. Iowa's got advantages. It's interesting to me that Iowa has a graduated income tax, and now they're trying to move to more flat tax, while Illinois has more of a flat tax system and trying to get more to a, a graduated system. But uh, you've always got to be kind of looking at the corner of your eye, just kind of like, what's the competition doing? And I hear stories. I mean, where I live, we're not that far from Iowa, of people uh, leaving leaving our state, moving to Iowa because of taxes, because of crime. I mean, I hear anecdotal evidence. I'm not sure how much there actually is. But what's your thoughts on the tax system, Greg? Of course, you know, again, we, we tried, the state tried to pass a graduated income tax. It failed. Do you think they need to try to take another stab at that? Or do you think the tax system is, is good the way it is? I, I would have supported I did support the graduated income tax rate. I think we have a very unfair tax structure here in Illinois. I think the effective tax rate of those at the top is, is, is way too low compared to those at the bottom. Uh, we did take a stab at it. We failed. Do we need to look at that again? I, I think we should always look at options to more fairly tax our residents. You know, I, I think that um, we certainly can't look at things like taxing retirement income. We, we do have to figure out a way to continue to eliminate loopholes and do whatever we can to make sure that those at the very top are, are, are paying just their fair share. And, and we're not doing that right now in Illinois. We're, tr we're truly not. Um, it was a, the message, you know, ironically enough, I, I, you know, was working on that, the graduated, the fair tax. And when we would talk to people, people would say, Greg, I can't vote for that. I can't vote for that because I think we need to have a system like they do in Iowa. Or your 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 tax on on your rate of income, and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's exactly what this is. It, <laughs> it is that sort of tax. So I, I think a lot of it was in it just you know I, I think we did a pretty poor job in messaging, that. and those that had the a vested interest in protecting the current structure, um, just really did a, a better job of messaging on that particular issue. What about property taxes? We've got some of the highest property taxes in the nation, of course, as you know, and most people know. I think our listeners, a large part of that property tax bill goes to fund local schools. But um, I, I, do you think we need to provide some more property tax relief? And how would we do that while maintaining the proper revenue flows to fund government services? We do need to continue to freeze property taxes for seniors, veterans, and and, and that, you know, um, I talked earlier, you know, once again, I'm running for state rep here in the 72nd district. And I talked earlier about how I'm not sure that the education that we're being fairly funded the way we should be 
for education here. We are way, way too reliant upon raising property taxes. We just can't continue to go down that road. So for me, I think my job is to go to Springfield and just bring a bigger piece of that pie down here to the 72nd District so we can provide property tax relief to people that live here in the Illinois Quad Cities because we are in competition with the other side of the river in which property taxes are, are somewhat lower. I think um, they have other taxes that come into play, but we're losing that argument on property taxes on the Illinois side of the Mississippi River because we're not getting a bigger piece of the pie down here. You, you mentioned you, you have your own business. I mean, what can we what can the state do um, to, to incentivize more small business growth? I mean, we we I've worked in economic development. We always have a fascination with getting the huge manufacturing plant of 2,000 employees. Those are rough to get, but the true job generators are small businesses. What what can what can uh, the state do? What do you think to uh, try to get promote some more entrepreneurial activity and small business growth? Making sure that they want to build their businesses here, training workforce, um, building building infrastructure, making sure that the the uh, expansion of broadband and and uh, getting uh, better internet service. Uh, better broadband service is something that's going to going to bring people as well, and and I don't I feel like we're falling behind here on that right now. I, I mean, uh, I, I deal with it every day with my work. I'm, I'm struggling, struggling with uh, no matter what provider I go to, I seem to be having issues. We have had a few blips on my end anyway, but uh, so that kind of proves your point a little bit about investing in broadband. Um, I want to close out the interview. Uh, we got about a minute left here. Uh, just give you a chance to uh, make your closing statements, so to speak. I do this also with candidates on uh, as, as people get ready to go vote. Some are already voting early. Uh, why, why should they consider and vote for you uh, here next month for the uh, General Assembly? I think because I've got a deep, deep investment to this community. Um, I've been a leader in this community for many years. I've brought programs in. I've led from the from the front. I've led from the middle. I've led from the back. You know, I put people in position to succeed. Um, I've seen this district when it's when it's functioned as best. When it's when it's been lacking, um, I'm going to make sure that uh, I you know, make sure we bring things like Amtrak. And I think the Amtrak system, so many others. I, I think I've just got a history of being in rooms and getting things done. You know, I, um, I I think that Illinois is truly on the right track, Rob, and I do. I think that uh, you know the election of J.B. Prisker a few years ago. I think our reinvestments and things really put us on the right path. And I just think we, we need the right people in the in these rooms, in these leadership positions to continue taking us there. I want to thank uh, our guest today, Greg Johnson, the Democratic candidate for General Assembly in Illinois in the 72nd District, which includes uh, the Quad Cities area. Thank you for being our guest today, and we look forward to uh, uh, hearing back from you in the future. Thank you very much, Robin. You guys have a great weekend. Heartland Politics is a production of WVIK, Quad Cities NPR. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can hear more on the Heartland Politics podcast, available at WVIK.org, in the WVIK app, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.